Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. This is the Cheesehead Hangover podcast. Uh, currently, I don't think either one of us is hungover, us being Garrison Anderson and Sarah Anderson. But we do have beers in our hands and we're recording on Sunday, right after the first game of uh, the week for Sunday, uh, right before America's Game of the Week. So we wanted to get an episode of Cheesehead Hangover in for y'all. Um, talking about the Packers win, and it feels Woo! so much better uh, to record with the Packers win. Um, so obviously, Packers-Bears played first game of the season on this past Thursday, and we got a W, Sarah. Cheers to that. Cheers. Cheers to Packers W. Um, Sundays are always weird, I feel like, when you don't have a Packers game on. I don't know about you, but I've always felt like Sunday is the day for football, and anytime there's not a Packers game on, it just feels a little bit off watching other teams. It, you know, it kind of feels like a snow day. Like, you don't know quite what to do with yourself. You have all this free time, and everyone else in the world is trying to, is just carrying on without you. That's true. The NFL is carrying on without us, but I did appreciate all the gifts heading into the Sunday where... The Packers are first in the NFL. The Bears are last in the NFL. And, and everything, everything is right with the world. Everything is well, right. And everyone else is somewhere in between. Exactly. Exactly. So we have a birthday person today to celebrate, Sarah. Yes. We would like to wish Darius Smith a very, very happy birthday, especially after his amazing performance yes. on Thursday night. Yes, he had a great performance Thursday. Uh, so far, well worth the money. He had three tackles, a sack, a tackle for loss, and three quarterback hits. I remember seeing one play where it was a Mitchell Trubisky incomplete pass, and he just was going for the rush. And then he got there, and he got about a step in, and then put a hit on Trubisky, and then was fine. It was cool. It was a clean hit. But he definitely showed a lot of talent. And happy birthday, Zadarius. Stay young. Have a great day. Have a great day. Enjoy your Sunday. <laughs> I hope you're studying up for the Vikings game next week. Um, so obviously, uh, from week to week, we'll kind of change up the structure of things depending upon what goes on in the NFL, what goes on with the Packers, and all of those factors playing into it. I honestly had a ridiculous day yesterday because I spent most of the day completely enthralled in the Antonio Brown storyline. And for those of you that have been li living under a rock for 24 hours, which I suppose is possible. It is the weekend. It is the weekend. Um, Antonio Brown essentially self-orchestrated his uh, release from the Oakland Raiders and then eventually went on to sign with the New England Patriots of all people and this was a ridiculous saga going on basically for the past three months. Yeah, basically since the day he signed the contract to become a Raider. And oddly enough, the day he signed the contract to become a Raider, he talked about accountability and if people aren't being accountable they'll issue fines and that they'll hold each other accountable. And oddly enough, what started this long saga over the past three, four days was him posting on Instagram a fine letter that he received from Mike Mayock, 
which led way to a bunch of other social media posts that I just was baffled by. I would just say that Antonio Brown is just a baffling character. He has a ton of potential. And, you know, with a QB like Tom Brady now now throwing him the ball, who knows what we might see? But, but you know, he is batshit crazy. Basically. I mean, I found it, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but uh, there was a tweet uh, from Rob Domofsky of ESPN uh, that talked about how before the Instagram posts came out and his YouTube video came out where he had John Gruden uh, recorded on a phone call, which could be a crime in the state of California due to their two-party consent law on recording individuals, um, to everything that Antonio Brown's done. But Rob Domofsky from ESPN said that Antonio Brown hired social media specialists to try to orchestrate a quicker release from the Raiders. Well, I mean, you look at the posts he's made in the last week, they are professionally done. This is not someone sitting on a couch spouting off at the world. These are high quality videos, graphics, curated content that uh, I am fairly certain an, uh, a professional athlete who is supposedly training and taking care of himself full time as his profession would have time to do. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I mean, he got what he wanted. He got released. Um, he ended up signing with the Patriots. The contract with the Patriots is uh, for one year, $15 million maximum. Um, not all that $15 million is guaranteed. However, $9 million of it is in a signing bonus. Um, so that's a significant amount of change for a player that has brought a ton of drama and has really not been a team player, has been really self-centered throughout this entire process. <clears throat> yeah. So Antonio Brown, it's a ridiculous thing. I'm really going to be curious to see how he reacts to uh, being a Patriot and being in a Patriots locker room where Bill Belichick is notorious for treating everybody the same. And, and not putting up with shit. And not putting up with shit. Bill <laughs> Belichick will even cuss out Tom Brady when he throws too many incompletions and He's not afraid to do that in front of the entire team, which maybe that's what Antonio Brown needs at this point. Um, but along with that, I wanted to bring up another wide receiver who got paid. He got a bag. Uh, Julio Jones, a couple days before the NFL season started, signed a three-year, $66 million extension with the Atlanta Falcons. Um, for which 97% of the contract is guaranteed. That's an insane amount of money to guarantee a player over three years. Give it, I mean, the NFL, it's a young man's lead. Julio's not young. He is good, mm. but he is not young. And you just never know when something fluky happens. Like, granted, it did not happen today, thank God. But you just don't know. Like, next week, he could have an injury that ends his career, and he is guaranteed 60 plus million dollars. I, for one, actually think it's a great thing on behalf of the players. I agree. And if like anyone deserves it, Julio does because he's he's got talent. He is he is a team player, unlike our uh, previous headline. Um, and, you know, he's put in the time and he, he's he makes things happen for the Falcons and makes that team a better team. 
exactly. And I think this is actually a storyline that's going to fly under the radar to some degree. And it's one that's probably going to give a lot of GMs and NFL executives a lot of pause because this is one of a few contracts that gets fully guaranteed. Julio Jones, Kirk Cousins deal was had a strong guarantee. And you see people breaking uh, various contract records. Really, in the NFL, it's all about the guarantee and what you get. Um, and this is honestly something more like an NBA deal, a shorter term deal, something that's almost fully guaranteed. The player has that insurance that they will get their money, even if they are injured, which is important. I think it's really important. And, um, you know, you know, it probably has to start at the top with, you know, the best of the best, but really I think the NFL needs to move into a direction where they're guaranteeing more money for players that are, I hate to use this word, but expendable. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that is what this league is built on. And it eats up and chews out, you know, undrafted players, seventh round, fifth, sixth, seventh rounders. And, you know, they can end up walking away from the game, you know, injured and impaired for life. Mm -hmm. And what do they have to show for it other than they played in maybe one or two games? Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, the NFL is not short on money. No. The NFL, out of any major sports league, makes the most money out of all of them. And the average lifespan of an NFL player's career, famously, is two and a half to three years. Mm -hmm. And, oddly enough, to be fully vested in the retirement programs for the NFL, you need to be in for a certain number of games over three years. And that's crazy. But I'm glad about Julio. I don't want that storyline to go under the Antonio Brown noise that has been going on the past week. It's something to look out for, and we'll see if this is maybe the start of more fully guaranteed deals for NFL players. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see, especially with the Players Association negotiating a new contract within the next year and some change. Yeah, exactly. Definitely something to watch out for moving forward in the greater NFL landscape. So, Garrison, let's get to what we really want to talk about. Yes. The Packers beating the Bears. Exactly. Bear down. Bear down. Where do you want to start? I mean, we could go a lot of different directions with this. What's your uh, overall reaction to the game? I love NFL games like this. I know the pundits were all about like the sloppy offense, the low scores, it being not exciting. But come on. This is real football. When you have a defense dueling it out against the other side's defense and grinding away for 60 minutes and holding everything back, like, that's real football. Like, that is where it's at. These shootouts, you know, we, I mean, we're, we saw scores 40, 50 points today. Who gives a shit? Like, if you can grind it out and hold a team back, like, especially given how the the rules and the officiating favors the offense like that's an impressive game like that's impressive football this is the exact kind of game that i want i love and i'm really actually glad that the hundred hundredth season of the nfl started with a game like that that's really kind of like a throwback game to to the years of old Mm -hmm. definitely this was i would say definitely a throwback game where defense mattered a lot more uh folks tried to get the 
running game going to some degree. I think if we were back in the 1920s, this would be a lot more wing T and a lot more pound the rock even harder than what was attempted uh, during the Packers-Bears game. But it, it was a great game. Uh, there, It was interesting to me. I think there's a lot that we can learn out of this game, and I agree that the pundit storyline that we didn't learn anything from this game because it wasn't offensive enough is exact opposite of what it should be. We learned a lot about the two defenses that were on the field. And I would agree with them to the point with the point that we didn't learn anything. I mean, it's week one of the season. Mm-hmm. Nothing, nothing is set in stone at this point. This is one game. There are 15 more games to go. They're right. We didn't learn anything, but we didn't learn anything because of the, the lack of offensive stats. We didn't, we just didn't learn anything because it's week one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And week one in the NFL always gives way to ridiculous things that happen. For instance, last year, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat the New Orleans Saints in week one. Yeah. And I'm certain at some point throughout this uh, week one, there's going to be those types of games where it's like that team beat that team. It just happens. Yeah. I mean, fluky things happen week to week. It just so happens in week one, we have nothing else to compare it to. Yeah. So which side of the ball do you want to start on first? Do you want to start on the Packers offense, Bears defense, or the Packers defense, Bears offense? Actually, could we start on special teams? Sure. I I mean, so much of this game was a field position battle, mm-hmm. and that really was a duking it out between the two punters. And J.K. Scott had an amazing game. Granted, the Packers let... Um, the Bears have a couple of returns, although they contained them. They did not mm-hmm. let them get they had they kept them to a nine yard average for when they did have a return. But J.K. Scott's average punt of over 47 yards, his long of 63, mm-hmm. like given the fact that there were 17 total punts in this game, it was huge. Um his average beat the Bears uh, average by five yards, and his long beat the Bears long punters long. By 10 and not to say that pat o'donnell of the bears didn't have a good showing mm-hmm. just jk scott had a great showing and i'm so excited to see how he takes a step from year one to year two year what last year is rookie year he was a good punter he i mean he wasn't excellent he he wasn't quite of the standard that merits maybe the draft pick but you saw the potential there it just seemed like he um he wasn't used to a 16 game season Mm-hmm. Um, he, his first few games, um, there were a couple of mistakes, but he, overall, he definitely had, he was stronger at the beginning of the season than by the end of the season. I think now he knows what an NFL season looks like compared to a college season. He's trained for it. He's ready for it. And he has a year of experience under his belt. And in the NFC North, a year of experience can mean a lot. That's true. And I think, uh, even more so about JK's performance. I think he definitely put himself in line to potentially get special teams player of the week. Um, I think, especially with his last punt being his longest, a 63 yard boot that uh, Pat McAfee, the former Indianapolis Colts punter coined it as a game winning punt as much as it can be. And it was, it truly was. It, it pinned the bears uh, deep uh, within the 20. I think it might've even been within the 10 yard line. Um, and then that eventually led to the Preston Smith sack that put the game away. Yeah. And pinned them down on the three at the, to, to, 
for the Packers to come in and kneel it out. And I mean, that's just it. It really was a game winning punt. And that's after, you know, having nine good boots before, you know, it's, it's no simple task to go out under, especially in hostile territory like Soldier Field and do that again and again and again. And it, you know, and it wasn't just the distance, it was the directional punting he did mm-hmm. too. Um, he, Tariq Cohen, one of the guys that returns punts usually for that team. He's no joke. When he gets in space, he can make plays and largely the directional punting and then all coverage units did well at limiting whatever impact he could have there. Yeah. And, and even during the game, they were pointing out his, his flexibility. Like he keeps his, his planted foot on the ground and his legs go 180. He he's, does the splits. He's able to kiss his knee when he punts. It, he, I, you know, he's a, he's a great player. He's a young player. He's got a lot of potential and, you know, we are nowhere near his ceiling just yet. It's exciting. Yeah, I definitely agree. So special teams, gotta give some love where credit is due. Yeah. And I'll also give Mason some love because you know what? We only scored 10 points and he's responsible for four of them. And you know what? I just love Mason Crosby. And if we're talking about special teams in the kicking game, we probably should give the Bears' Eddie Panero some credit as well. He had the opportunity to kick a field goal. And, and he made it! And he made it. He did not hit an upright. He did not hit two uprights. He hit zero uprights. And he got the field goal. But, I mean, even later on in the game when it was a fourth down and it's a close game and it was fourth and 10 and Matt Nagy decided to, instead of go for another field goal, try and bring it closer. He decided to go for fourth and 10. So I, I question that decision on the bears coaching part. Um, mostly because when you have, have the opportunity to get points, you should take it, especially in close games. But, you know, they're <laughs> probably still spooked about the double doink curse. <laughs> and, I mean, it is the Green Bay Packers, so we can't really blame them. That's fair. That's fair. They needed to score that touchdown. Wonderful. Uh, So do we want to go Packers defense or Packers offense? Let's talk about the offense first and end on a high note with the defense. That's a good idea. I affectionately coined uh, this week's performance as the, quote, off, end quote, fence. Because this offense was definitely off. Uh, What did you think about the performance overall? I mean, it was off, but so were the Bears. And I think there's two things. Like, yes, it was much more off than I had hoped it would be. Um, You know, I think there's a lot of factors at play. And I think there's a, you know, I think that this is probably a floor, not a ceiling. I do think... It is the first real game that this offense has ever ran in um, as the Green Bay Packers version of Matt LaFleur's offense. Mm. Um, Why would you expect it to go smoothly? (laughs) You know, the first time out of the gate, you know, things are going to go wrong. Um, And that combined with the Bears defense, like the Bears are a good defensive team. They're a great defense. Their D-line is terrifying. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't even want to be in a Mack truck facing that D-line. They have incredible talent, and they've drafted even more talent to that great, to that D-line. So you have to keep that in mind. Like, this this defense is is 
way up there. And the fact that Packers were able to pull together a few drives really gives me some optimism about what the potential of this offense could be. Mm. So I think between the fact that it was the first out of the gate under with a very formidable opponent, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not worried, but I am a little disappointed. Yeah, I I definitely am disappointed as well. Um, Matt LaFleur, after his postgame uh and I was glad to see the conversation between him and Aaron that they both need to be better because even Aaron admitted he has a tendency to let the clock go all the way down. And when Matt LaFleur has talked about so much of his offense being keyed off the speed, the timing, the getting in and out of the huddle really quickly to be able to put pressure and put tempo on the defense, Aaron Rodgers, I love him as a quarterback. At times he can kill that. Um, because he is a perfectionist, and I appreciate that about him. But I'm glad to see that they both recognize that, and they both need to bring more to the table moving forward. Yeah, and I think I think it's true. Um, and I think it's also for the two of them, you know, figuring actually figuring out at game speed and game situation that goes whether you're ready or not. Unlike a practice. How do the two of them need to work together? Mm-hmm. And I think that's only going to improve. And they're they both recognize that. And so, I, you know, I'm not too worried. I mean, things that I'm a little bit worried about, um, you know, the fact that we rushed for under 50 yards, um, but so did the Bears. <laughs> so, um, again, a little disappointed, but not yet worried. I will say one of the things that I didn't realize until, until pulling up the, the, the stats this afternoon um, Aaron Rodgers threw to eight different receivers mm-hmm. um, or eight different individuals on the field. Let's put it that way. That's a good way to put it. Um, eight pass catchers. Eight different individuals caught a ball from Aaron Rodgers on the field. Unlike the Bears, they were all on his team. Anyway, um, two of those were running backs. Mm-hmm. Three of them were tight ends. Mm-hmm. And only three of the eight were actually wide receivers. That's true. I, I am very intrigued by that. And I'm also really excited because we have some great tight ends who can catch the ball. All three of them can. Jimmy mm-hmm. Graham, Mercedes Lewis, Robert Tanyan. Mercedes Lewis has almost hit his number of catches for the year to match what he had last year. Last year he had three, and Thursday night he already has two. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited about what he might be able to do. Yeah, I am too. And I think partially what you're getting at is the difference in scheme and the difference in personnel decisions of who do you put out on the field. During which plays. During which plays and how often are they on the field. We are very familiar as Packers fans to seeing three wideouts, four wideouts on the field at the same time. Spread formation, West Coast offense out of the shotgun, throwing for all of our offense as much as we can. Um, I think the fact that the pass catching happens in a spread out format indicates that there were more plays with tight ends on the field, more plays with running backs on the field. And if those guys are open, they're open and throw it to them. And having that sort of difference where you have two tight ends, a running back and two wide receivers instead of four wide outs that allows you to hopefully do some disguising with your play action passes, your run game with your pass game as well. 
folks don't know that you're going to pass it every single down. Well, and that's just it is because our tight ends really can do both. Jimmy Graham really can block. Mercedes Lewis really can catch. And so mm-hmm. just because one of them's on the field doesn't mean the play is going a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that was one of the things I, I know Robert Tanyan talked about during some of his interviews during camp. He worked hard to improve his blocking. Mm-hmm. Um, catching he had down, but he worked hard this offseason on his blocking to, you know, to match that of of the others in that tight end room. I'll even say with uh, Mercedes Lewis's postgame interview, um, he talked a little bit about the tight ends as a group. Um, and it was mentioned to him he was already halfway on his way with his pass catching. And over half. Over <laughs> half. And he was delighted by it. But he also talked about Jimmy and Robert Tanyan a bit and mentioned that Robert's really going to be the guy to be able to spell Jimmy uh, for a series here and there from time to time. And I appreciate that because fresh legs are always good. Not relying on the one guy with a big name is good. And being able to cycle players through is also good, but it also shows you sort of what role to expect from Robert Tanyan. I still fully expect Mercedes Lewis to be more of a blocking tight end, but I could see more often when Robert Tanyan comes in for Jimmy Graham to be that sort of wide tight end in the slot to pick up some big plays here and there across the middle. Well, Mercedes Lewis Lewis is one of the best blocking tight ends in the league. So mm. there is no the Packers by no means are going to stop using him to block. But you know, I I I think what we did learn of the Packers offense is that there is a new flexibility in it that I think down the line is going to give um, opponents trouble, and that's a good thing. Definitely agree. Definitely agree. Anything else for the Packers offense that you'd like to say? I really hope they can establish the run game. Um, I was a little disappointed in our li- I th- our offensive lines play. Um, granted, I realized they were completely overwhelmed, as anyone would be, um, given given the Bears' D-line, as we've already discussed. But, you know, there was a lot of holding. There was... Um, there were some other things that came about, and 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 there they they met, there was a lot of missed missed pickups and mm-hmm. coverage, and that was part of the reason we were sacked so many times, and that makes me you know that makes me nervous. I mean, I think you know the hostile environment and the opponent definitely factored into that, and also you know it's the first time these five guys have played together as a unit. Um, I do think they're going to get better. I do think they're going to gel more, and I I mean I think they have the rapport. And the camaraderie to do that, um, but I was hope I was expecting a little bit more, um, even out of the gate f- from them. That's fair. I completely agree with that. And I'll say a word on the wide receivers. I, I thought uh, for the most part the wide receiver group was doing all right. There were a couple plays where um, Devonte Adams was triple covered, so that shows you the respect that the league has for him. Um, Marquez Valdez-Scantling had four catches. He obviously had that one long 47-yard catch, and I think that's something that we might see more from him um, throughout the course of the season. I think he's firmly established as the number two. He uh, got six targets. Adams got eight targets. Jimmy Graham got six targets. So it shows you at least the flow of the offense is MBS is probably your number two uh Devonta is probably your number one. Jimmy's your number one tight end. And then you have Geronimo, Kumaro, everybody else down the line. 
I do want to point out, though, that one of the few plays Trevor Davis was in, he made a play. That's true. He did, he did make a good first down catch for a significant game. And it was when we were, we were pinned pretty deep on one of those punts. And so I, I, if he can stay healthy, I think he has a chance to really move up in this, um, this, this group of wide receivers. And, you know, you keep doing things on that and taking advantage of the few snaps you get. Um, he, I, it, it, it reminded me a lot of that preseason game with Oakland. And every play, he just seemed to be finding the ball and showing up. And so if he can keep doing that, by all means... You do it to it. There you go. TD. Wonderful. Well, let's get to the defense. Um, wow. Yeah. So one stat I saw uh, about this game overall, the last time the Packers and the Bears combined for under 20 points was January 2nd, 2011. The last time they combined for 10 or less points was October 17th, 1991. Uh Certainly, this was a defensive battle, and that's where most of the storylines, I think, came from. Um, And we saw, essentially, a heavyweight prize fight going three and out for three and out, um, stopping drives for stopping drives out most of this game. And that was great. And, you know, the thing about it is um, that really stuck out to me upon reflection is the fact they did all this with one inside linebacker Blake Martinez who is still the tackling machine Mm -hmm. thank goodness um Uh, even after after the game Matt LaFleur discussed how they sort of view guys in their defense they sort of viewed their rushers as known rushers not necessarily linebackers or defensive linemen and a lot of the game was sort of set up as five known rushers a middle linebacker and five DBs, which I thought was really interesting. And it seemed for the most part to work really well. Um, and so all of a sudden that whole situation at um, linebacker has me a little less worried than it did maybe a week ago. Mm-hmm. I thought one of the things that was most interesting was how quickly uh, the guys, the furthest away from the furthest distance away from the line of skirmish, the strong safety and free safety would get down to the line of scrimmage to make a tackle on a ball or stop a runner or stop a catch uh, before it got to that second and third level. The speed with which Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage play helps a lot, I think, in mitigating getting beat over that middle part of the field because they can make up ground on that middle part of the field. And, I mean, just our whole backfield is really impressive um you know from Tremont Williams with his extremely veteran move of pushing the Bears receiver was that Trevor, was that Robinson yep out of bounds um in what would have been a huge gain gain and would have set the Bears up for at least a field goal if not a touchdown um just the smarts of that play Darnell Savage already breaking up passes in the NFL like he's been here um I think he had a, he had a, was it a tweet or was it an Instagram post that had a quote uh, Mm -hmm. or had a line similar to that on it? Mm -hmm. You know, you know, as a rookie, just showing up and and proving he belongs. Um, I think J.R. Alexander had, had at least a pass defense. He had, so overall there were six DBs that had a pass defense. I mean, that's just it is like, they did a great job. 
Kevin King having it bounce off his belly, you know, it'd be great to see him actually catch those, but you know, even, even just getting, keeping the ball out of the receiver's hands and across the board, they reliably did that over and over and over. And of course, saving the best for last. No, I did not forget. Probably the play of the game, Adrian Amos's interception in the end zone. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's just always a great way to end the game. And we all know the context behind these players. If you're a true fan of the Packers or the Bears, you know where the players come from, their schools, their former teams. And for Adrian Amos uh, to go against the team that didn't want to pay him the contract uh, and was able to get the interception, uh, it really was a good moment for him um, and a good moment for this team. Absolutely. Um, so I I definitely agree. It was cool to see so many pass defenses on the back end uh, for this team. But I also thought it really helped that we got legitimate pressure throughout the entire game. And Absolutely. That was something that I honestly can't remember the last time throughout an entire game I felt like there was going to be a sack on every play. The defense the last couple of years for the Packers, yes, they've been productive at times with sacks, but getting in the backfield, breaking up the pocket, making the quarterback move, I haven't seen that as consistently as I saw in this first game. For well, and I didn't necessarily get that feeling, but I will say, I, you know, you knew they were going to, you could see that they were in Trubinsky's space every single play. And to the point where that it helped contain him as a runner. He can be a runner, and he was not a running factor in Thursday night's game. Um, you know, I think that says a lot about a lot about our line and um, their awareness to to for the most part fill, fill the lanes, keep stay in his face, and and not give him an out. Mm-hmm. So to speak on the Packers defense overall, so Packers Bears played the first game of the season last year and they played the first game of the season against each other this year. So comparing just those two defensive performances last year, sacks, tackles for loss, pass defense, quarterback hits. Last year's defense had three sacks in that game, five tackles for loss, one pass defense, five quarterback hits. This year's Packers defense had Five sacks in the game, six pass defenses, not oh six tackle for losses, nine pass defenses, and eleven quarterback hits. And both of the Smiths had three quarterback hits in the game. You know, it really, I I was a little nervous when it was all going down, but I have to give Brian Gutekunst credit to bringing in these individuals and and reforming this defense. With the with the pieces Mike Patton needed to make his defense work, and um, you know I don't know that I'd ever seen Mike Patton smile until Thursday night. <laughs> That's very fair. He's a very stoic man. I also think it's really interesting that all the guys the Packers got in free agent acquisitions are going on their second contract and not their third contract. All the guys they got are still in the prime of their career. And you can see it in the production and the performance on the field. Yeah. And I'd also like to point out just, you know, looking at their defense, it's it's not like they've cultivated just first round picks. You have everything from first round to undrafted um, 
undrafted guys and it's it uh, and to that fact we should probably give a shout out to someone like raven green yeah, who had a really who had a really good game he had five six total tackles uh a pass defense and he was he was around the field you at times did not see an inch of difference when he came in for either one of the cornerbacks or one of the safeties. He was. He was all over. And he was also getting down in the box and, and duking it out in the trenches. Um, he really was all over the field, fill, yeah. filling in. Definitely agree. Um, so anything else you want to mention about the defensive play or maybe final takeaways from this game against the Barrows overall? I, um, I mean, I am excited to have the Packers have a defensive win. Uh, we have not had one of those in a really long time, and um, maybe maybe it's my my old school tendencies, but I really really like a good defensive game like this one was, and ours ours was better this time around. For those of you that don't know, Sarah's a thousand years old, so Obviously. she loves so she loves the Packers and the leather helmets and just bashing <laughs> against the Bears. So, I, I, yeah, I definitely agree with that. The defensive win is what it is. And I'll quote Aaron Rodgers. We got a defense. I mean, we defense, got a defense. Defenses win championships. Um, I don't know who said that first, but everyone says it. And it's true. Like, you can get pretty far with an offense. You know, especially if you don't have special teams, they can hamstring you. But if you don't have a defense, you are not going to go deep. You're not going to go long into the playoffs. And you aren't going to come out on top in the Super Bowl. You need to have a defense. And the last time the Packers had a defense, they won the Super Bowl. I can't disagree with you there. So we'll, I'm definitely, that's going to be one of my favorite things to watch this defense play week to week. All right. I would like to quote Adrian Amos from his interviews after the game. Um, he, I would have to share this with him. I'm happy to stop being asked questions about Chicago and comparisons to different things. I'm just ready to get after it with my team. And we have to build on this win because it's really only week one. We have to get after it and get after week two. So Garrison. <laughs> yes. Let's so get after week two. Let's get after week two because I think it's, it's another NFC North divisional rival and We'll see what happens here. So the the Vikings are going to be playing at Lambeau Field. Uh, at the start of this week, FanDuel, one of the betting sites and odd settings uh, places, uh, have the Packers favored by three and a half points, which is roughly a home field advantage favorite because three points is roughly what is home field advantage. So... Essentially another wash as this game versus the Bears was. So I think before we go into the matchup between the Packers and Vikings, we just got done watching part of the Vikings play the Falcons, and they trounced the Falcons. Uh, The final score was 12 for the Falcons, 28 for the Vikings, and it... It looked at halftime like it could have been a whole lot worse. Exactly. And it looked like the Vikings were in complete control. But it was actually interesting. I looked up some of the stats afterwards, um, and the Falcons actually had more total yards than the Vikings. And the Falcons actually had more first downs than the Vikings. 
The Falcons had 345 total yards and 27 first downs to the Vikings, 269 total yards and 18 first downs. Now, when you see that, you would probably say, oh, the Falcons probably won that game. But if you look a little bit deeper down, the Vikings defense had three turnovers. They got two interceptions and a fumble recovery. And one of the interceptions was when the Falcons were on the two-yard line, knocking down the door to the end zone. And both teams had a lot of penalties. I think the Falcons had nine, the Vikings had 10. Um, And really, when I look at the results of this game, I felt like watching the game the whole time, the Vikings were just absolutely whooping the Falcons. But when I look at the results and I look what happened, I feel like this game could have been a lot closer and the Falcons could have sneaked out a victory here if they didn't have those timely turnovers. Yeah, and even, I'll admit, I took a nap during the third quarter and missed a good chunk of this game. But during the first half, when I was awake and watching it, um, I mean, that was just it. Like, yeah, the Vikings ran up a score to be 21-0, but the truth of the matter is, even at that point, it was it was a lot of, you know, things that could go either team's way just consistently went the way of the Vikings. Every single, you know, step of the way from, from the turnovers to, you know, field position and lucky bounces um, to, you know, it, it, it wasn't, yes, the score and the atmosphere coming through the screen from U.S. Bank Stadium definitely gave the impression that the Vikings were smothering the Falcons. But if you if you could take your head out of that and actually look at the numbers and look at the plays, it was a lot of luck. And, um, and you know, frankly, they weren't playing, the Falcons weren't, you know, weren't playing as badly as it looked on the stat sheet. That being said, though, um, the ability of the Vikings defense to generate turnovers is a little scary. Um, as well as their uh, performance on special teams, that block punt to start off the game tilted the whole game in their favor in a way. Um, you know, granted, the game was in their favor. It's a home game, loud stadium. But it went from being in their favor to just just blowing the Falcons out. Um, and I don't know that they ever really recovered. I totally agree with that. And from the looks of it, that U.S. Bank Stadium is really loud. And it looks like it is a quite the home field advantage as there could be one. I think really what this Vikings-Falcons game comes down to is the run game. Um, the Vikings had 172 total rush yards. Uh, and I was surprised the time of possession was basically 50-50. When one team has a lot of rush yards, you usually expect them to have a longer time of possession. Um But the fact of the matter is the Falcons did have drives that drove down the field and just had those untimely turnovers. So that really balanced out the time of possession. But the the thing that kind of makes me think a little bit, Kirk Cousins threw the ball 10 times. He had under 100 yards passing. He had one really great throw to uh, Adam Thielen for the touchdown, but really this game was all about pounding the rock with Dalvin Cook. And even their rookie running back, Alexander Matson had over five yards per carry throughout the game. Well, and I mean, that was just it, is Dalvin Cook, he is the key to this offense, as we can see. As You know, when he was humming, they were flying. 
um, the few few drives where they could really contain the run, three and out, pretty easy. Um, so I mean, I think I think the Falcons really showed the Packers exactly what they have to do to beat the Vikings. And we should probably shift to what. What do we think about this Packers-Vikings matchup moving forward? Because we covered the Falcons and Vikings and talked about the game a little bit. What do the Packers need to do to beat the Vikings in this upcoming week? I mean, they've got to contain Delvin Cook and then protect the ball. Um, you know, I usually you want to say, you know, ball security is at number one. But I think really in this case, containing containing Delvin Cook is, is the key. Um I mean, Delvin Cook, you know, has greater than his average yards per carry is greater than half of what Kirk Cousins can throw on a play. Like, this isn't, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like rocket science. I think, you know, we know Kirk Cousins from his years as a quarterback with the Redskins, he can screw up a game real fast. However, like if you, if they can establish their run game. You know, there's no, there's not going to be any stopping them. I, However, I think that also points to our performance against Chicago. We have a D line, you know, it's, and then this is going to test them. Was week one a fluke or is this the new Green Bay Packers? Completely agree. And I think that was talk about one of the things Bill Belichick, who's the golden pinnacle for NFL coaching, in my opinion, uh, he always thinks about, what do we have to do to take away your first weapon, your best weapon? And what do we have to do to take away the weapons after that? So who's the first weapon for the Vikings? Really, it seems like it's Dalvin Kirk at this point. So early on in the Packers game versus the Vikings, I'm going to be really interested to see if that defensive line tends to maybe not go for rushing the quarterback, but containing him and making sure that they can play run defense really stoutly and stop Dalvin Cook from picking up first down after first down after first down. And then that gets into what I think might be the push point for the Packers-Vikings game this next week. And that'll be, I'm going to assume that they can stop Dalvin Cook. This is a big assumption on my part, and I could be dead wrong. If Dalvin Cook has a great game, I think the Packers might lose this game. But... If we can contain him to some degree and make Kirk Cousins start to throw the ball, I'm going to be really interested to see how our DBs and free safeties match up against Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. Because I think for the Vikings to have to win this game, they're going to have to run the ball well, and Kirk Cousins is going to have to throw the ball more than he did this past week. Well, and the thing of it is, is, you know, the, the Falcons weren't, the, the Vikings' D-line was all over the Falcons' offensive line. The Falcons' defensive line was not all over the Vikings' offensive line. They, I mean, it from, from what I could see. And so I think, you know, I think if they can stop the run and, and get in Kirk's space, I don't know that he's going to hold up particularly well, but I do think it begins with stopping the run. Yep. Um, so what are some key matchups that you're interested I obviously mentioned sort of the wide receivers versus RDBs for the Packers I mean it really comes down to me you know RD line versus their running backs like that that is is you know the first run Dalvin Cook ripped off 
um, at the very beginning of the game, I, it got called back on a holding penalty, but I was like, shit. He this, looked great. He <laughs> did look great. And he is healthy. If anyone was questioning, he is healthy. He's 100%. Um, I definitely agree with that. I think maybe the one other thing that we should look for as well is what type of step forward can Matt LaFleur's offense make against another really uh, another good really good defense. I don't think the Vikings defense is on the level of the Bears defense. I think the Bears defense is probably one of the top five in the NFL. But can Matt LaFleur put up more than 10 points? Can that offense put up more than 10 points? And can we see more drives like the four-play drive that led to the Packers' only touchdown against the Bears. Well, and I want to really see if this offense can really have a drive that is sustained. You know, one of those drives where you just are going down the field, five, six-yard chunks, but it's consistent. You're doing a run, you're getting a pass. You're doing a run, you're getting a pass. Maybe another pass, maybe a run and a run. And you chip away at that defense, and you go 75 yards down the field to pay dirt and we have not seen that yet um i don't know that we really even saw it during the preseason to any great extent most of the drives that made it down to the end of the field had a big player team in them um so i would really like to see the offense do that sooner rather than later because when you get a lead late in the season the way you keep that is burning up the clock and that's the way you burn up the clock like yes, you need to make you need to have big plays. You need to take advantage of that when you do get them, but you also have to just fight it out. Completely agree. Um, okay, so the Packers are favored by three and a half. Now, what I want is what who is one X factor player for the Packers and one X factor player for the Vikings. And what is your final prediction for a score of this game? I'll give you time to think. I'll go first. Uh, I think one of my players that I'm going to look to to have a big game is I think Jair Alexander is going to have a really strong game. I think he had a great game against Chicago, but didn't necessarily have any of those big booming stats, whether it be a good interception or a good sack. He had some pass defenses. He had a tackle for loss, I think. Um, But I'm expecting in this game to see him do something on the big stage in front of the Lambeau Field crowd. And I think he'll probably have an interception in this game. Um, I think one thing to think about with the Vikings team, I'm going to stray away from selecting Dalvin Cook as my X factor for that team. But I'm going to say Danielle Hunter. Um, well, Khalil Mack didn't necessarily have a sack in this past game, there were matchups and he took t- attention away from the other rushers for the Bears that there was productivity throughout the line. Can Daniil Hunter for the Vikings essentially play that similar role? Is he going to take away a lot of attention and open up spaces for other guys on that Vikings defense to make plays in their front seven and maybe get a sack or two? Or can he be contained one-on-one via David Bakhtiari or Brian Balaga? And I think that will be an interesting thing to see as well moving forward. 
as far as prediction for this Packers Vikings matchup in Lambeau, uh, I think the Packers offense is going to be really excited to be in front of a home crowd. And I think they'll feed off that energy and will score more points. Um, I'm going to guess the Packers will win in a 17 to three match, 17 to 13 matchup. All right. Um, I'll start. I think my player to, to watch kind of key player for it will be for the Vikings will be Kirk Cousins. I, I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb with you and say the Packers figure out how to contain Dalvin cook. And so this game then goes into the hands of Kirk Cousins and we'll see what he can do. Um, he's had games in the past where he throws for hundreds of yards and multiple touchdowns and is, is, looks every bit deserving of the contract that he's received. He has had other games in the past where he looks like he's not quite worth whatever is in the homeless man's cup on the corner. So, you know, I think a lot of it might come down to what kind of day does he have? And, you know, Lambeau Field is not going to be a friendly environment for him like U.S. Bank Stadium is going to be or was today. Going to the other team, our loving Green Bay Packers, I think I think the key to this game is going to be Aaron Jones. Um, he had 13 carries, 39 yards, 3.0 average in, against Chicago. That is not the Aaron Jones that we've come accustomed to with over five yards per average per carry. Um, I, I think if he, you know, between the offensive line gelling a little bit more and, and getting used to, to running behind these guys in this offense with some of the different, different, um, different types of blocking schemes, you know, um, if, if, if we can kind of get, get back in gear and have him have ru- knocked off some of that rust um, and get our running game established, I think that opens up the book of what really is in Matt LaFleur's offense and will let us see it for the first time because we really didn't get a chance to see what is in that offense. Um, just given the, the, de- the Chicago Bears defense, the, the score situation um, and everything else, um, there's a lot more in that book, and but he has said it multiple times. Matt Lafleur has, you know, it all is predicated off the run, and we didn't get the run on Thursday night. So for the Packers, Aaron Jones getting the run, that's it. You know, if if that gets established, I think a whole new world is coming our way. Um, if it doesn't, this game is going to be fought in the trenches, and it's going to be a grinded out just like in Chicago. Um, when it comes to scoring. Of course, I think the Packers are going to win. I always think they're going to win. Um, so, but I, but I do think we're going to. I think they're. But I think if our run is going to be more established than it was against Chicago, mm. I think we will contain Delvin Cook. So I do think these offenses are going to be a bit of a throw, some throwing, some running. There's going to be stuff going on in this game. I don't think we're going to have. 13 total points at the end of the day, night or afternoon. I think it'll be a little higher than that. Um, I said 17. <laughs> Packers had 17 for mine. Vikings had 13 for mine. I, you know, I even think we'll have higher than 30 total points. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm, I am kind of thinking this game is going to be, you know, I'm kind of thinking Packers 28 and Vikings 17. Okay. I think we're going to, like, I, 
am optimistic about how this team, the Packers, can maintain the defense they had against Chicago and and turn that offense on. Okay. We're going we're gonna to flip the switch. We're going to hope to turn the offense into an on-fence. Exactly. I don't think that works very well <laughs> as a term. It works well in writing, not so much speaking. I'm all, Sorry, I'm all about the puns. So one thing you're going to learn is I'm going to make puns, and you're going to have to listen to them. So sucks to suck. Um, all right. I, we'll, we'll see what happens. I'm very much looking forward to this game. We both grew up on the Minnesota-Wisconsin border, and I grew up thinking this rivalry was above that of the Packers and Bears. And- I, I have a lot of feelings about this game, and I'm very conflicted, and I want the Packers to win, but uh, losing to the Vikings will be the worst, and if we do lose, I will most definitely be actually hungover when we next record. And hopefully that won't happen because we'll have just celebrated responsibly like adults with a Packer win. There you go. Any last words for the people, Sarah? Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of just glancing through the stat sheet one more time. And um, I do think we need to uh, flag for all those who didn't see all the flags on that particular drive. Uh, the first and 40 position that the Bears got themselves into we neglected to talk about this during the game, but, you know, it's not every day that you see first and 40. And yeah. that first and 40 turns into a drop pass, a drop pass to third and 40 at some point during that drive. And when it's third and 40, there's not a whole lot you can do. It's pretty comical, I will say that. Um, I will also, if we're if we're going back to that, I will say LaFleur challenging the pass interference no call. Um was a questionable decision in my mind uh just to get that on the record but for the most part i was happy i was happy to see um in the post-game locker room celebration uh if you watch that video clip on the packers website uh they had to cut that clip together really with a lot of snippets um because lafleur used the language and it was a very choppy clip i wish i could see the full clip um but i appreciate the energy and i'm glad they celebrated and i'm glad rogers and zadarius smith were in the middle of that celebration and you know rogers making sure that matt lafleur got the game ball yeah like that you know that feels right. It feels right. It feels like a good moment. It seems like this uh, locker room is gelling as much as they can in one week of regular season play. So looking forward to seeing more of that. But going back to Adrian Amos, you know, it's really only week one. It's got to get after it and get after week two. That's fair. All right. Well, we're going to call that a night. Uh, we hope that you get after week two and that you enjoy listening to this, whether it be on your Monday morning commute. Um, Have a great day and we will see you next week.